Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. In chapter 10, Jesus was teaching his disciples uh, about discipleship, about going out for him. And now as we move into chapter, uh, really chapters 11 and 12, we see Jesus is back out ministering among the crowds. And let me just remind you, uh, really the overall theme of Matthew's gospel is that Jesus is the, the Messiah. He is the promised king and that he is, has brought in the kingdom of God. That's the overall theme is this emphasis on his kingship and kingdom. And so, so far we've already seen in Matthew's gospel up to this point that that, that glorious truth has been, has been proclaimed, it's been announced, it's been demonstrated many ways. However, we've also seen a few signs of opposition to that truth, right? We've started to see just hints of, of um, people opposing Christ. You know, we had the Pharisees um, say, you know, who, who is he? He's blaspheming. You know, who has authority to forgive sins? Uh, we had the Pharisees, you know, they couldn't discount his miracles, but they said, well, he's doing that by the, by the prince of demons, right? So we've already started to see these seeds of rejection and opposition. And I just bring that up because now as we move into chapters 11 and 12, we're going to see increasing opposition to, to Christ, Okay, so just have that on your radar um, a little bit today, but, but more to come. Okay, with that in mind, today we want to consider um, verses 1 through 19 of Matthew 11. And so I'd ask you to stand, please, in honor of God's word. And I'll read the passage we want to consider today, Matthew 11, verses 1 through 19. Please follow along. When Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon." 
The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. Please be seated. Well, the title of the sermon this morning is Believing God's Word Despite Unmet Expectations. Believing God's Word Despite Unmet Expectations. Don't you just love a a short, succinct title, right? I was like, wow, Jathan, is that the best you could do, right? Maybe it would have been better to just have said, uh, have called the sermon Unmet Expectations because that's really what is going on here. Jesus is not fitting the expectations that John the Baptist had for the Messiah. And then we'll see that neither John nor Jesus ministered in a way that satisfied a lot of uh, the Jewish people. And so as we you know, start to introduce that theme of unmet expectations, I want to just pause and say, well, what about you? What about you today? What do you do when God doesn't meet your expectations? How do you respond when your life or your circumstances don't turn out the way you had hoped? It's something to think about as we study God's word today. Now, it's in this context of unmet expectations that we see Jesus continue to teach on who he is and what he has come to do. And that's point number one in the outline today. Jesus declares he is the promised king. If you're taking notes, that's number one. Jesus declares he is the promised king. Again, this is the theme of Matthew's gospel, right? And then we see Jesus doing that again in the text today. And and he's going to do it really in two ways here in verses 1 through 15. The first way is by responding to the doubts of John in verses 1 through 6. And then secondly, by highlighting the ministry of John in verses 7 through 15. So as you saw, the text is a lot about John the Baptist, but as... Jesus interacts with his question and teaches who he is. He's really also primarily shining a spotlight on who he is, who Jesus is, that he is the promised king. Okay, so let's dive in here. Verse 1, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. So verse 1 is like a, uh, serves as a transition from Jesus's teaching section there in on discipleship in chapter 10, now back to, like I said, ministering publicly to the crowds. And then beginning in verse 2, we have this scene involving a question from John the Baptist. But before we even get to that question, let's just remind ourselves about John the Baptist, right? Because we haven't really seen him much lately here in Matthew's gospel. But we saw back in Matthew chapter 3, and I ask you to go ahead and be turning back there because I want to read a few verses in Matthew chapter 3. We saw in Matthew 3 that God raised up John for this special task of preparing the way for the long-awaited Messiah, right? The, the long-awaited Messiah, uh, the, the promised king, is Jesus of Nazareth. But in God's plan, he also had appointed a man to prepare the way for the Messiah, and that man was John the Baptist, right? And so John did that. He did that by, by uh, preaching, right? He, he powerfully proclaimed a message of repentance. He, he announced that the Messiah was bringing judgment upon his enemies and, so, and that he was bringing in the kingdom of God, and so he called on people to repent, right? Bow before the king. He's coming. God has, is coming to save and to rule. 
So repent and, and be ready for him. And remember part of John's ministry then, uh, not only proclaiming that um, message of repentance, but then he would baptize people as a, as a public demonstration of their repentance, right? And then he would exhorted them, remember, to, to uh, bear fruit in keeping with your repentance. Great, I'm glad you came up and made this public display, but now go live that way, right? Live a changed life of repentance. But what I want to highlight is... Uh, just Well, actually, I'm going to read it for you. And as I read his, his preaching, notice uh, the theme that John is really emphasizing in his preaching. Look at verse 7 now of Matthew chapter 3, all right? So you turn, turn back to Matthew 3, verse 7. It says, but when he saw many of the, this is John, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees, and every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, and the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Wow, notice what John was really emphasizing about the Messiah, right? He was emphasizing that the Messiah is coming in power and that he's bringing judgment upon his enemies, right? The axe is at the root of the trees. The bad trees are going to be cut down and, and, and thrown away. The winnow, his winnowing fork is in his hand. He's, he's ready to gather in his wheat and separate out the chaff to be burned in judgment. So I remind us of that because John's preaching reveals to us what John was expected the Messiah to do. And, and, I mean, this wasn't just something he dreamed up. I mean, he was getting this from the Old Testament, right? He expected the, that the Messiah would save his people by bringing judgment on God's enemies. Well, then we, in Matthew 4, John, we learn that John is put in prison. Matthew doesn't tell us the exact reason right then. He will later in chapter 14. But we know that uh, Herod had him thrown in prison. And now as we're in, in our text today in chapter 11, we're going to see that John is still in prison. Okay, so he's probably been in prison about a year now. Really, he's been in prison for most of Christ's ministry here in Galilee, the things we've been studying the last several chapters. Okay, so now let's look back at our text today, Matthew eleven two. with that in mind. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Okay, so do you see the picture there? Um, uh, John, you know, he, he get, he's in prison, but he can be visited by people. Matter of fact, that's how he gets his sustenance, is being visited by people. Um, and he's hearing reports, and now he has sent the, a, a few of his guys to Jesus to ask him, are you the one to come, or shall we look for another? The one to come refers to the Messiah. So what a question, right? John, who was the forerunner, he's now asking Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Are you really the one we've been waiting for? Or, or should we be looking for another? And you might say, well, how could this be? How could John be doubting this when he's the one who was proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah earlier, right? Well, 
Again, think about the reports that John's been hearing about Jesus' ministry, right? He's been in prison for a year, languishing in Herod's prison, and now he's hearing what Jesus is doing in Galilee. And so I, I'm picturing this conversation going something like this. Um, of course, there were probably several conversations, but nevertheless, here's, here's some of John's disciples. John, you should hear what Jesus is doing, man. You should hear him Proclaim the word. You should hear him teach. He teaches with such authority. And John would say, okay, good. That's, that's nice. I'm glad. And, and John, uh, oftentimes when Jesus teaches, he's casting out demons. Okay, that, good. That demonstrates the authority. That, that kind of validates the authority with which he's teaching. That's good. What else? Well, Jesus has healed blind men. Now they can see. And Jesus has made lame men walk. Okay, well, that's nice. I'm happy for those people. Yeah, yeah, and Jesus made the deaf hear, and he cleansed lepers, and he, he, heals, he's, he heals lots of people with all kinds of diseases. I mean, they just keep coming to him, and he keeps casting out demons and keeps healing them one after another. And John, wait till you hear this one. Jesus even raises the dead. He brought a little girl back to life. And one time when he was walking by this funeral procession, he, he reached out and, and, and touched the, the coffin or whatever they call it, and, and the young man came back to life. Isn't that amazing, John? I'm sure John said, yes, indeed. I mean, clearly, God is with Jesus. But, um, you know, you haven't said anything about judgment. You know, has Jesus... Has Jesus brought any fire down from heaven to consume God's enemies? Well, no. Okay. Well, has Jesus kicked out all those wicked Pharisees from their leadership positions? No, no, he hasn't done that. Well, is, is Jesus organizing some revolt against, against Rome, against the, those Gentile dogs? No, John, he's not, he's not doing any of that. In fact... Now that you mention it, Jesus actually teaches things like, uh, you know, turn the other cheek. And if someone forces you to go one mile, you go with them two. And, and, and pay your taxes to Caesar and, and pray for your enemies. And you can think John is like, hmm, man, that's, that's strange. Okay, guys, I need you to go ask Jesus if he really is the Messiah or should we be looking for another? Because this is just not adding up. You see, I mean, I think that's something of what was happening here with John the Baptist. John is questioning if Jesus truly is the Messiah because, because Jesus is not being the Messiah in the way that John expected. He was expecting a lot more judgment, a lot more uh, vindication, right? And, and Jesus is not doing that. In fact, here's John in prison, you know, for serving the Lord. John had preached about fire and judgment, and so he's probably thinking, Jesus, where's the, uh, you know, where's the winnowing fork? Where's the unquenchable fire? Where's the, where's the axe at the root of the trees? When's Rome going to be defeated? When's God's enemies going to be judged? And so he asks through these men, these messengers, Jesus, are you the Messiah? Or is there someone else who's going to come and, and do that judgment part that the Old Testament talks about? again, John could be thinking, well, maybe Jesus is simply a prophet sent from God, but not the actual Messiah. Maybe God's going to send another one who's going to be the Messiah who will bring God's judgment. 
So it just reminds us that these guys are human too, right? <laughs> they, they have doubts. They, have, they go through trials. Um, and this is not unbelief on John's part. This is just honest doubt, questioning. So John's disciples have asked Jesus this. And look at how Jesus answers them in verse 4. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So again, he's just highlighting what, what all he's doing, right? What all he has been doing. And, and his, his reply through these messengers back to John is, is just loaded with Old Testament um, allusions. Uh, in fact, we know of at least four uh, messianic prophecies in the book of Isaiah that he's alluding to here. I'll just, I'll just read them to you quickly. You can just write them down if you want. Isaiah 35, verses 5 through 6 says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Isaiah 26, 19, your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy, for your dew is a dew of light and the earth will give birth to the dead. Isaiah 29, 18, in that day the deaf shall hear the words of, in the words of a book and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord and the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah 61, 1, which if you're familiar with the Gospel of Luke, this is the passage Jesus got up and read in the synagogue in Nazareth and said, hey, today this is being fulfilled in your hearing. Isaiah 61.1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has set me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. So, Jesus' answer to John was all these Old Testament allusions, and he's saying, look at what I am doing. Right? Look at the miracles I'm performing. Those are characteristics of the promised messianic kingdom. And John would have got that, right? I mean, he, would, he knew his Bible. He knew his scriptures. He, he, would have, he would have been familiar with those texts. And so Jesus is saying, John, I am bringing in the long-awaited kingdom of God. He's, he's encouraging John. He's saying, yes, John, I am the Messiah. But it's interesting in his reply to Jesus, if we were to take the time and go back and look at each one of those passages I just read to you in Isaiah, <laughs> um, in, the, in the context, in the immediate context, it does talk about judgment. It does talk about the Messiah bringing judgment. So really what Jesus is, is explaining to John here is, I am the Messiah and, and the, the blessings associated with the coming of the Messiah have already broken out. I've been bringing those in as I bring in the kingdom of God. But, John, the, the uh, judgment part, that's being delayed, right? The judgment part is being delayed. And as we've talked often, I think, you know, what God's people didn't really understand is that the, the Messiah was going to come twice, Right? And the judgment part was going to be at his second coming when King Jesus returns. That's what we're still waiting for. And along those lines, so not only does, is Jesus you know, not bringing up the judgment part, and matter of fact, he's teaching him that it's delayed. It's interesting, if you were listening, as I read Isaiah 
It says, the verse goes on to say uh, about opening up the prison to those who are bound. But when Jesus gives his reply to um, John's messengers, he doesn't say anything about that. And here John is in prison. And so again, it's, it's like Jesus is saying, yes, I'm bringing in the blessings, but, but John, there's still going to be opposition. There's still going to be some suffering. There's still going to be uh, times when God's people are, are being mistreated. Okay? So in his answer, Jesus was encouraging John to believe God's word. This is the, a key point, right? This is why I titled the sermon the way I did. Jesus was encouraging John to believe God's word, to trust the Lord, and to wait on the Lord. He's saying, yes, I am the long-awaited Messiah. I'm bringing in the blessings now. Vindication and judgment are coming later. Jesus Christ will judge his enemies at his second coming when he returns in power and great glory. And so John, like everyone else, He had to trust God's word. He had to submit his expectations to God's will. And he had to trust Jesus to carry out his plan. Okay? Just like we all have to do. So Jesus encouraged John along those lines there in verse 6 when he said, And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Right? Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Anyone not offended by Jesus is blessed. And that word offended literally means to be tripped up. And, but here he's talking about anyone who doesn't refuse to believe my claims is blessed. Right? Anyone who's not tripped up because I'm not doing things the way they expected is blessed. So J- Jesus encourages John and really all who are listening to this whole scenario as well to believe Jesus, to keep trusting in Jesus and his ways. It's like Jesus was telling John, John, don't be tripped up because I'm not yet bringing in the judgment of God. My current focus is reaching out to people with the good news. Judgment's going to come later. In fact, even now, people are being separated according to how they respond to me. So just hang in there, John. God is at work. You faithfully accomplished your purpose. You, you blazed the trail. You prepared the way for my coming, and now just keep trusting God. I'm going to complete my task as well. So I, I, I like to believe that John was encouraged by that. You know, I think his question was answered well. I think his mind would have been put at ease. But now the text shifts from Jesus sends, sends those guys away with that response to John Right? And in doing so, he's declaring that he is the promised king. But now then, in verses 7 through 15, he goes on to, to give this long tribute to John. <laughs> and, you know, that's kind of interesting. And it's kind of like, well, why is he doing that? Well, John the Baptist is, has been brought up, right? And, and maybe other people might be thinking, well, wow, what's, why was John doubting or whatever? I don't know. But, but what I do know is, as Jesus gives this tribute to John and highlights and teaches on the uniqueness and, and the, the authority of John's ministry, like I said earlier, what he's doing is he's highlighting who he is. He's again proclaiming that he is the promised king. Okay, so verse 7. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. 
What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Remember, John did all his, he wasn't in Jerusalem, he wasn't in the, the temple, he wasn't in synagogues and stuff. He was out in the wilderness, out in the heat. And yet he had all these crowds flocking out to him. And, and a lot of those people who flocked out to him would have been the same people that are around Jesus right then. And so Jesus is saying, why did you guys go out there? Why did you go out there in the heat to, to hear John? What, what did you go out to see? A reed shaken by the wind? In other words, <laughs> some some spineless guy who's just going to be blown by the, 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 the winds of public opinion, you know, like a politician or something. And, and they're like, no, no, that wasn't John at all. I mean, he was courageous. He was bold. I mean, he stood up to, he stood up to Herod. That's why he's in prison. He called, out, he called Herod on the carpet and said, hey, what you're doing is sin. And so Jesus' question there expects a, a no. John wasn't like that. He was bold and courageous, just like the prophets before him. Verse 8, well, what then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. It's kind of like Jesus already answers this question. No, you certainly didn't go out there to see some, you know, the lifestyles of the rich and famous out there, right? You know, John all dressed up. No, he was in, what, camel skin and, and you know, eating locusts and honey. I mean, he was like a mountain man out there. You know, he was dressed like a prophet, like the prophets of old. And so that leads then to Jesus' question in verse 9. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. Right? So now we've got a positive answer. Yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet. So he's saying, you guys went out there to stand in that hot sun for hours listening to John because he powerfully proclaimed the word of God. You knew that he was a prophet who was speaking for God. And you were right. He was a prophet. In fact, he's more than a prophet, he says. Verse 10, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. So Jesus is quoting there to Malachi 3.1, the last book in the Old Testament, right? And, and that passage in Malachi speaks of this commissioned Isaiah-like prophet who would prepare the way for the Lord's coming, okay? And... And Jesus is saying, that's who John is, guys. He's a prophet, which was amazing, right? They had 400 years of silence uh, in between the last prophet and John coming on the scene. So just the fact that he was a prophet was a huge thing. But in addition to that, he was a special prophet. He was the one uh, uniquely set aside to prepare the way for the Messiah, Right? John was proclaiming the word of God. He was preparing the people for the arrival of the Lord. And again, it's nice. We're like, wow, that's nice. Jesus is giving this tribute to John, you know, and, and yes, it is nice. But as he does that, he's also showing who he is, right? Because in Malachi, again, it, it's talking about this, this, this special uh, prophet Elijah-like prophet who's going to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. And he's saying that's exactly what John did. And who did he prepare the way for? Me. I'm the Messiah. And in addition to that, those who had ears to hear would, would start connecting the dots and, and realizing, wow, you know, uh, places like, like Malachi 3 or, or Isaiah 40, which, you know, John would quote when he was out there preaching, they talk about not only just the coming of Messiah, but the coming of the Lord of Yahweh. So again, to those whom God was giving that, that faith and understanding, Jesus is saying, 
I am God in the flesh. I'm the promised king. God has come to rescue his people, to save and to rule, and he's doing that through me. That's what Jesus was was saying as he highlights John's ministry. So John had the special privilege of preparing the way, of pointing toward the coming of the Christ. And so no wonder then Jesus goes on to say in verse 11, Truly I say to you, among those born of women there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Catch this statement. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. I mean, we've got to camp here just for a minute. This is such an awesome verse. Jesus praises John as the greatest man ever born, right? He's saying John had this unique privilege of of announcing the coming of the Messiah, of announcing and preparing people for this the the kingdom of God, this new era in, in, in God's redemptive plan. But John belonged to the the old covenant. He belonged to the old order of things, right? He was, really, John was the last in a long line of prophets who were proclaiming the promises of God, who were proclaiming that that one day the Christ would come, right? John's kind of the last one in that line. Now, he was, like I said, he was the special one because unlike, you know, uh, Isaiah and, and the other prophets before him, John, John actually got to see the Christ in the flesh, right? It's like he was the last one in the line and it's like, oh, handing the baton off. There's the Christ. But he still was part of the, the old covenant. Uh, the passage Pastor Shannon read today about talking about uh, the prophets, uh, they, they proclaimed about this coming salvation and, you know, they were speaking the word of God that was given to them, but they didn't know all the details about it, right? You know, they were kind of like proclaiming it and then longing to look into these things and saying, wow, what's that going to be like? And here, John was getting to see it in more detail, wasn't he? Because now it's, wow, it's this man, Jesus, the Lamb of God. And so... As great as that, as as privileged as John was to, to be that forerunner, to be a prophet, and to be that last one that's preparing the way for the Messiah, he was the close of a chapter of God's redemptive plan. Because now with the coming of the Messiah, now the kingdom of God has come. And and we know that Jesus is about ready to establish the new covenant through his death and resurrection, right? And so that's what uh, Jesus is saying here. As great as John the Baptist was, and there's no one greater, really, born of women, right? That's everybody. (laughs) Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. (laughs) And we talk about that a lot, right? The Bible says, you know, in Hebrews and other places, that the new covenant that Jesus was establishing is, is superior to the old covenant. It's so superior that the least in the kingdom of God would be greater than John, right? You know, I mean, you go through all the blessings, the Holy Spirit, and they'll all know God, and, and their sins will be forgiven. So yes, he's not only referencing the blessing, how the blessings of the new covenant are greater than those in the old, but specifically, and this is what I want us to get, and this flows so nicely out of Matthew chapter 10. Think about what John 
Again, think about what was his purpose. It was to point to Christ, to point people to Christ. (laughs) And here he's saying, we, like John, right, any of us who are now in the kingdom of heaven, any of us who are, uh, God has saved and we've been brought into the kingdom, we have a greater ministry than John the Baptist. I mean, it kind of blows your mind. That's what he's saying. We, like John, have that tremendous privilege of pointing people to Jesus, of declaring the day of the Lord, of declaring the good news that Christ has come. And because we now live on this side of the cross in the empty tomb, and we have the completed canon of Scripture, we have an even greater ministry than John. In other words, we have an even greater opportunity to point people to Christ than John did. Because even though he saw Christ in the flesh, he still didn't have all the details uh, fleshed out for him yet, did he? But we do. <laughs> we do because of, the, of God's word. We know that how, what Christ did. We know he came and, and died on the cross in the place of sinners. And he defeated our enemies of sin, death, and Satan. And he rose again in, 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 in power and in victory. And he's seated at the Father's right hand. And that he is coming again to to uh, complete his kingdom and eradicate all evil. We know that. And so we, that's what it says, the one who is least in the kingdom of, of heaven, kingdom of heaven is Matthew's way of saying kingdom of God, anyone whom God saves is a citizen of the kingdom, right? So any of you who are saved, The one who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, than John the Baptist. What a privilege we have. What an opportunity we have to point people to Christ. We can show people the eyewitness accounts in the New Testament that Jesus has died on the cross and rose again. We can can show them, read it with them, the apostles' teaching that Christ has conquered sin and death. The the fact that Jesus now reigns on high and that he calls all people to repent and follow him. We can proclaim the good news that the Lord Jesus is right now graciously forgiving sins and giving entrance into his kingdom to all who forsake their sin, to all who repent and embrace him by faith as Savior and Lord. What a privilege we have. What good news. What, What a stewardship we have. That we can point people to Jesus, point people to Jesus' saving power in an even more clear and developed way than John the Baptist who saw Jesus in the flesh. And so may God help us to proclaim the gospel in this clear and loving way to those who are around us. And as we do that, may God be pleased to give the new birth to all those to whom we proclaim it. That, that more and more people would be added to his kingdom. And, and so, of course, along those lines, I pause and just say now, what about you? What about you today? Have you bowed the knee to Jesus? Have you, by faith, embraced him as your Savior and Lord? Because, again, we have God's word for us. And so I've had the privilege today of, of trying to proclaim that clearly to you. That Jesus has come and died in the place of sinners. That he's come to rescue his people so that all who believe in him are saved. 
And so what it means to be a Christian is to place all your hope and faith in Jesus Christ alone to make you right with God, to give you eternal life and salvation, to be trusting in Christ alone, and then to say, Jesus, I want to live for you. You are Lord. I've been Lord of my life for too long, and I realize now that's rebellion against God. I want to live for you, you who are the king. And so I pray if you haven't done that today, you will. Jesus then wraps up his tribute to John in verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Again, he's saying a lot of the same things I've already tried to explain. That John's that last great prophet. That he proclaimed the way, um, pointed the way to Christ. And it's interesting, this is something we've seen already in Matthew. Notice it says, all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. All of Old Testament scripture was pointing the way to Christ just like John did. And now, what they've been pointing to has come. Who they've been pointing to has come. Jesus has come. He's come. And so, verse 12, it's, it's a little tricky to translate, but basically it's, it's, it's talking about now the kingdom has come, but there's going to be opposition to it, right? There's going to be opposition to it. And so the, the word here is, yes, the kingdom is advancing, but there's going to be opposition. That's why John's still in prison. I'm sure John wasn't the only one with doubts here, right? I'm sure John wasn't the only one with questions like, Jesus, when, when's the judgment coming? And so he's saying, guys, I'm here, I'm bringing in the kingdom, it's advancing, but it, it suffers opposition. And so the message is, God is at work in spite of that opposition. God is carrying out his plan. God is doing bigger things than, than John realizes, than maybe you realize. Yes, I mean, we know John's even going to be executed in prison, but yet God is in control because God's promised Messiah has come and he's bringing salvation to all who believe and he will eventually bring judgment then to those who oppose his kingdom. But God is at work and everything is going to happen according to his timetable, not John's. Okay? So I know that's a lot of, that's a lot of um, material, it feels like. And we're not done. There's verses 16 through 19. I'm... I'm going to just cover these in like lightning fashion because it does just kind of wrap up this section. Jesus has proclaimed that he's the promised king. He's declared it. But now, number two, people reject that Jesus is the promised king. And that's, that's what he's saying. He's giving a parable here in verses 16 through 19. Um, he's describing that generation with a parable. He's saying they're like bratty children <laughs> who sit in the marketplace and, and complain to one another because they can't agree on what game to play. Half the children want to play a, a happy game. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. Well, the other half, of the, kind of like what you'd hear at a wedding, by the way, and the other half wanted to say, no, no, we want to play a sad game. We, play, we sang a, sur- a dirge and you did not mourn, kind of like what you would do at a funeral. And back and forth they go. They can't decide. And what Jesus is doing there is saying, you know, I've been talking about John he had questions about me. You know, me and John are kind of in the same boat that people are rejecting us. They're rejecting the message. John was, lived this real ascetic lifestyle, and they said, oh, well, he has a demon, right? 
Jesus, you know, was, was more out with the people and was, was attending the, the dinners with tax collectors and, and going to the weddings and stuff. And they're, they're like, oh, well, look at him. He's a, he's a glutton. He's a drunkard. And so no matter which, even though John and Jesus had very different styles, they both were being rejected by those. And what it boils down to is it's not about the style, it's about their message. Their message was being rejected because John and Jesus, though different styles, had the same message. They were both proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And so that's the point is... Uh, people were rejecting the, the message. And like I said, it's leading us into well, this growing opposition. He closes and says, Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. John and Jesus are the deeds of God's wisdom. God in his wisdom chose to send John as the forerunner and to send Jesus as the Christ. And though the gospel is folly to those who are perishing, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God and the wisdom of God, First Corinthians says. And so the point of the parable was, it, again, it wasn't Jesus's or John's style that caused people to reject him. They were rejecting the message. They rejected the call to repent, believe, and follow Jesus. People would not accept Jesus as their king, and the same is true today. Apart from God's grace, people won't accept this, right? It doesn't matter what style you use. It doesn't matter what kind of music you use, what kind of red carpet you try to roll out. You want to have, you want to have uh, donuts and coffee? That's fine. Great. But it ultimately all comes down to, will you believe and accept the gospel or not? Right? I mean, obviously, let's do all we can. We want to not put any barriers up to people receiving the message, right? Let's be friendly. Let's be welcoming. But it's all about the message, right? It's about worshiping God. It's about proclaiming the message, proclaiming the gospel. And so, again, we need to know that as a church, and we need to know that for ourselves, even if you don't like the style of, of what's being said, sometimes do you submit to what's being said as it relates to God's word? That's really the heart of the matter. Will you follow King Jesus by obeying his word? And so I close then by wrapping up the theme of the entire passage. Really? Remember, it's about this unmet expectations. Will you believe God's word despite unmet expectations? The text reminds us that as Christ's servants, we are to be faithful, we're to be courageous, we're to to be full of faith, to be trusting God even when things aren't going the way we expected or hoped. And that happens, doesn't it? The Bible tells us that we're going to go through trials, but but still, as we go through them, it, it, it throws us for a loop, doesn't it? This isn't how I thought this was going to play out. This isn't what I expected. This isn't how I saw my life going. This isn't what I thought would happen to us, maybe as a church or to us as a family or to me personally. And I know those are difficult things. But I just want to encourage you, our job is to keep trusting the Lord and keep believing his word. That's what he was calling John to do. Right? The kingdom of God has come. Jesus is on his throne and he is building his church. And even though things may not always go the way we think they should, the fact is, any of us who are Christians, we are such a blessed people. God has been so gracious to us. 
Our sins are forgiven. We have eternal life. We're in God's family. We're in the kingdom of God. We know that God is good, and we know his plans cannot be thwarted. So, loved ones, let us trust God and serve him faithfully. Let us keep believing God's word even through the hard times. And let us keep clinging then to Christ as we point people to him and as we wait for his return. Right, let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace and love and your plan, your plan to come and save sinners like us. We praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ and how he is the fulfillment of all the promises of the law and the prophets and how he accomplished what you set, sent him here to do. And now we know, Lord, that he continues to reign and build his kingdom and that there are other promises yet to be fulfilled and we know that um, he, you will keep all uh, your promises, that they all are yes in Christ. And so I pray, Lord, for any here today who are, who are weary, who are discouraged, who are fearful, Lord, because of the trials they're going through or because of just the evil they see around them, and it, it wasn't what they expected. It wasn't what they hoped for. Lord, please keep renewing our minds and that, that our expectations would be increasingly aligned with your word. But, but we acknowledge, we, you, you've told us the, the, the grand plan. You've told us where all this is going, but we don't know all the details of, for, for our lives of what that's all going to entail, but yet we submit to you. And so again, I pray for those who are struggling, Lord, please fill them with faith. Please give them the grace to just cling to Jesus now. Give them the grace to keep trusting you and to keep feeding on and believing your word. It's in his name we pray, amen. Amen. Let's stand, please, and we'll... we'll, uh, close with a song of worship.